This is To God's Greater Glory with Pastor Chris Neiswanger, a ministry of the Memphis Apologetics Group, who are dedicated to answering the hard questions and controversies reaching the Memphis metropolitan area and the world. Our broadcast is sponsored by Graceview Church in South Haven, Mississippi. You can reach Pastor Chris and Graceview Church at graceviewsouthhaven.com. Because I spent time out in California, I know guys that worked on the James Webb t- Space Telescope. Oh, all right. They were actually the technicians that built some of the things on the telescope. They spent decade of their life building that telescope, and there was only one purpose, really, although they don't like to talk about this, okay. for the building of that telescope. That was because they almost promised, without ever saying it, oh. that once they point that telescope out into space we're going to see evidence of massive civilizations all over because they must exist. Here's why they must exist. They say the universe has been here for a certain number of billions of years. They say it takes this number of billions of years Ah. in order for life to come to exist and this number of billions of years for life to progress to a certain intelligent state. And we see that human beings have been here this long and they've developed to this place through the evolutionary process. And so there must be ancient, huge, identifiable civilizations out there in space. Something bothering you or know someone bothered by the concept of God, creator, the I am? Hello, I'm Carl Casperson, and that is Pastor Chris, and today we are starting a two-part episode on the cosmological argument, which helps seek answer probably the simplest and sometimes problematic questions of what is everything for Chris, and good why to see you I again. Here. Hey, Easy thank enough, you so right? much, Carl. Well, let's get you. into it. I don't know, do you want to call this part two, or do you just want to call it the continuing discussion of the cosmological argument? Well, that sounds great. We're still talking about the same thing. You know, it's something everybody needs to know. Everybody needs to have it in their toolbox in case they need it. It, it's, it sounds kind of big and deep, but I, I thought we had a pretty good uh, dis- dissemination. Sure. Is that the right word? Right. Yeah. No, it's not the right word, but I get what you're saying. <laughs> So continuing on, where, where should we jump into next concerning uh, the argument? Oh, you know, the cosmological argument is that classic, it's usually the first one that people learn. You know, uh, uh, there's a universe, so what caused it if, it if it wasn't God, right? And in these uh, contemporary times, people have been taught that that's cheating or there's something wrong with going there. But mm. at the same time, you know, it's, it's, it's coherent, it's useful, it's vital, it answers very important questions right. that are concerning to the human uh, condition. And uh, it seems to be, in most cases, depending on how it's presented, uh, a valid argument. So we all, you know, pay attention to it. And here's, here's how you get to it practically. It works, you know? Okay. I mean, no offense to our, our uh, agnostic uh, atheist friends, we, we, we somewhat poked at uh, the absurdity of a, of a universe without the cosmological argument, right? Well, you know, uh, it, many times it's been brought up within this context. You can't have an infinite number of causes without a sufficient cause for the first one. Okay. Now, many people have said that's exactly what you have is an infinite series of causes, which was actually easier back when they thought we have a solid state universe, no big bang, no beginning to anything. So, you know, they presumed that there is just, you know, an infinite universe that never had a cause in anything. Okay. But it does not answer the normal, rational, logical questions that appear to the human mind. Just about anything you see in the world, when you see it there, your, your presumption is there was some kind of a cause for this thing. You have a coffee cup on a table. You assume that somebody made a coffee cup and a table 
because you've got a coffee cup and a table, right? You get to planets and earths and suns and solar systems and galaxies and universes. It might seem different because we can't always recognize the order that's inherent within them. But that's a problem of the human mind's recognition of order. It doesn't mean that they weren't ordered because now we're starting to understand that there's an almost infinite number of ordering principles that happen even within the atoms themselves, much less within entire universes that cause them to be the way that they are. And so all of the principles and all of the scientifically identifiable rules and laws of these things, uh, they exist and they will be obeyed and not a single rule of them will be broken even in the formation of universes, right? Okay, so... This brings up a question: Is is the concept of the multi multiverse a, oh, a, a, a is yeah. this is this a skeptic reaching, trying to reach around the cosmological argument, trying to? Yeah. Well, you know, uh, that's the thing about multiverses. They're really good for comic book movies and really bad for science. <laughs> Here's the reason why. Is there any actual evidence that any universe besides this one exists? Other than the inference that if one universe could come into existence on its own for no reason by accident, that perhaps many do, or an infinite number of them. So really it's a guess, a hypothesis of the mind with no actual prevailing evidence, not something that either could or should or would exist, because this question has no rational answer. Okay. The question of the universe existing rather than not existing is not a rational question. Oh dear. It's here right? <laughs> we know that it's here. Right. Well, not everybody knows. There are certain kinds of philosophical people that might say, oh, we're living in a construct or, you know, right. it's the matrix. What, what is consciousness? Which yeah. also makes for good comic book movies, but not for <laughs> real life, right? And so you get into this place where, okay, this is the world that you have. We're only going to talk to the reasonable people. The reasonable people know that this universe, the kind of a universe it is, where you have an almost unfathomable series of proximate causes also has to have a cause of the causes that's sufficient to it. Like here's one thing that exists in this universe that really has no place existing in this universe. Okay. We, we have two great tools. We have microscopes and we have telescopes. Okay. Right? With the microscope, you can see things smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And with the telescope, you see things bigger and bigger and bigger and farther and farther away. And we see no people or minds anywhere. <laughs> Now, because I spent time out in California, I know guys that worked on the James Webb t Space Telescope. Oh, all right. They were actually the technicians that built some of the things on the telescope. They spent decade of their life building that telescope. And there was only one purpose, really, although they don't like to talk about this, okay. for the building of that telescope. That was because they almost promised, without ever saying it, oh. that once they point that telescope out into space we're going to see evidence of massive civilizations all over because they must exist. Here's why they must exist. They say the universe has been here for a certain number of billions of years. They say it takes this number of billions of years ah. in order for life to come to exist and this number of billions of years for life to progress to a certain intelligent state. And we see that human beings have been here this long and they've developed to this place through the evolutionary process. And so there must be ancient, huge identifiable civilizations out there in space. And so they finally put the James Webb Space Telescope out there and they turned it on and they looked as far as you can possibly look in the universe, up to the edges of the known universe. Uh -huh. And do you know what they saw? 
some pretty pictures. Nothing. <laughs> they saw nothing. So they keep turning this thing around, hoping to like catch a spaceship or something. And there's nothing out there but more dirt and dust. <sighs> the only personal thing we have ever found any evidence of in the entire universe is us. Wow. And so we get into the thing, you know, that's a correspondent argument to the cosmological argument, which is the anthropic principle of why is man here? And why does he happen to be in this very special place on the side of this tiny ball that's exactly the right distance from the sun? And the sun is in just the right place in the galaxy. And the galaxy is in just the right place in the universe for us to exist and live and thrive. Right. And the ultimate reason is because where the earth is and where man is is not arbitrary. We're not just an accidental collocation of atoms in the void. We're something made by God and put in a very specific place. So just like in your home, all places are not considered equal. You have all kinds of places you can walk, including the garage, but you spend time on your couch. You have special places within the house that are yours, right? And where you keep your stuff. And this place is actually special to God. All the places in the universe are not equal. Man is actually special and wonderful. And there's nothing else like him. So whatever we talk about when we talk about whatever the first cause of the universe it is, it being a sufficient cause for the universe itself and everything in it, it also has to be sufficient to explain man and consciousness and mathematics and the eternal unchangeable rules of logic that we're all bound to, right? So that's the thing about cosmology. The universe exhibits artifacts of something other than itself. It's not just that something had to be powerful enough to create the universe. It had to be intelligent or smart enough to form the kinds of things that we see in the universe. Ultimately, most atheists and agnostics and skeptics don't usually like to see it presented this way. No, they don't. But the space shuttle and the satellites that go around the Earth on a 24-hour basis, all of those are simply accidents. They're the consequence of accidents. I mean, I can't build one. Right. There's this comedian that has this joke that goes like this. He says, you know, uh, we think to ourselves, if I went 100 years back in history, I'd make out like a bandit because I know so many things these people don't know. And so I tell them, you know, someday somebody's going to make a phone you can hold in your hand and you can, <laughs> you can watch people and have conversations, video calls with people. And, and they'd say, okay, well, how do you do it? And he'd be like, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I, have no, I have no idea how we do it, right? <laughs> uh, and that's the way it would really be. Just because right. we have cool stuff doesn't mean I know how to do it. Well, it's really saying that cell phones and satellites and uh, nuclear energy facilities, all of these are simply effects of accidental causes in the void. But we know that we can't make them without intelligence and planning and orchestration and very careful administration of these things. And so whatever the cause of the universe is must have at least enough intelligence for these things to happen in a way that's not a simple accidental effect of atoms bumping into each other in the void. Bumping atoms. Okay, so I would like to ask you, how is it that your reading of scripture doesn't frustrate or confuse you or uh, separate you from all, all the topics we were just discussing? How, how does scripture embrace and form your, your view of all these things? Well, you know, I had a really weird uh, theological upbringing. My father was a Swiss Mennonite and my mother was Catholic. Oh my. Right? And then when I was a kid, when I was still very young, they went through a Pentecostal conversion. They oh, became wow. Pentecostal. And, uh, you know, so like most kids that grew up Pentecostal, it wasn't that I didn't believe in God or anything, but I really wanted to sit down. 
you know? <laughs> I was really just kind of physically tired. And so I went to the Southern Baptist Church, you know, and I spent some time there. I even went to John MacArthur's church out in California oh, for wow. a while, where, where he was one of the first ones to say, okay, there is actual theology, and you have to know it, and if you don't know it, it's going to cause problems, mm. right? And so we all go through our theological journey, but I got to the place where I really needed to know some stuff I could hang my hat on, so to speak. And so I went to the universities and, you know, I studied the sciences and I studied philosophy and I learned everything they could teach me. But one of the things that I found is they really did not have any good arguments against God. What they really had was great sounding arguments if you know nothing about God. Okay. But if you have actually looked into these things and you understand the nature of their arguments, what they tend to be trying to do is cover up the existence of God with, you know, furniture that happens to be lying around the house. Okay. Yeah. But it doesn't really answer the ultimate questions that we have, and the ultimate questions are the most important. The ultimate questions that we have are this. What is human life and what does it mean? Mm -hmm. Where did everything come from and why? What is good and what is evil? And what difference does all of that make? I mean, those are the questions. If you can't answer those, you're not really participating in the discussion. And and if a society starts to lose the ability to answer those questions... What happens? It starts to disintegrate. Oh, dear. On itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. People recognize when they have an ultimate philosophy that doesn't cohere with the continued existence of a community or a civilization. That's why civilizations rise and fall. Most of it has to do with their relationship or understanding of God and who and what they are. So the cosmological argument, starting in the home, if, if you're talking to the to the families, like how can you encourage a family to have their kids embrace this concept? And, and engage the world that is now here that we're living in? I think the most important question that young people have, now this isn't new to us, but it comes in and out of vogue through history, Okay, is what does it all matter? What is the purpose of my life? Now, most kids are a little bit too afraid to go to mom and dad with that. So mom and dad have to be pretty free to volunteer that information. Mm-hmm. We've come to a time when people have said, don't tell your kids religion and stuff. Let them choose their own way and hopefully they'll come to it. Okay. We're the first society in human history to have ever done that, though. And the consequence of it have tended to be bad. Okay. Now, I'm not saying you force your religion upon your kids and make them not like it. But providing for them your answers and what you have thought through as a larger, more experienced human being is only wisdom. There are very few things that you won't tell your kids in order to keep them from harming themselves or others because you've just been farther down the road, right? right? And so as a person that's spoken at a lot of universities and a lot of events to a lot of young people, they have exactly the same questions. What does it all mean? What am I? How should I live my life? Those are the questions they should have, and those are the questions they do have. Now we get to the place where ultimately Christianity is going to be tested by its practical use. I know people are very uncomfortable with this, but if somebody else has a better truth and a better system and a better narrative, they're going to tend to win people. Right. And so when Christianity is presented in its historic orthodox sense, as it's been handed down for 2,000 years, does it tend to win the battle over truth and right and wrong, good and evil, and the meaning of what it is to be human, it wins 100% of the time. Right. I'm not saying that people can't bend it this way and that way and make it into a screwy thing, right? But for the most part, it is a great answer to almost every itch that the young person has to scratch. 
I love that. That's great. Yeah. We, we talked about animals earlier. <laughs> and sure. uh, I, always, I always tend to pick on bears because bears, <laughs> bears act out in ways that are fascinating and delightful and terrible if you're trying to compare a person to a bear and how bears act. You, you could, these concepts of like, like, like love, love is very, po- very popular. How can the cosmological argument inform what is love? How can you, what is the difference between a loving relationship and rape? Hmm. Right. You know, how, like where, how do you arrive at what is good and bad regarding love? Yeah. Well, you know, in many ways, people have different definitions of love, what they're trying to get out of it, and what they're trying to put into it. Okay. Kind of famously, the Christian apologist C.S. Lewis, the same guy that wrote the children's books, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, yeah. but also most of his books were for adults, and they were heavy ethical and philosophical arguments for the truth and veracity of Christianity. And he would go into the four loves. There are different kinds. Like you can love another guy. You guys are friends. You know, you go to baseball games together and stuff like that. That's friendship. That's one love, right? There's the love you have for your wife. That's a romantic love. Mm -hmm. Then there are the loves that you have for country and patriotism and that kind of thing. But then there is this purer love in which you love people simply because you are a loving thing and they are lovable within that context or within community. And this is the kind of love that we have with God in ways. It's pure, it's holy, it's not conditioned upon what we get or what they get. And how can you get to that without being within a kind of a world in which such a love can indeed exist? Now, I know that's a long way to say it, so I'm going to say it in a short way. When you think about who and what you are and the relationships that you have, whatever you think the entire universe is has to admit that that does actually exist. It's a strange thing, but we are the kind of a thing that can exist within the context of Christianity, and we can't exist the way we think we are within the context of atheism or a solid-going scientism or materialism. We are the kind of thing that in order to be happy, healthy, well, and psychologically have well-being, this has to be a certain kind of a universe. And so Lewis would take it back and he'd say, one of the best arguments or the universe being the kind of a universe that Christianity says it is, is because no one can live in any other one. In other words, you seem to be made for a universe that you're saying doesn't exist, Mm. when really your very existence and the loves that you have and the relationships you have with other people are an inference from whatever created you to be that way. In other words, that love is ultimately a love between you and God. You can interpret it as being between you and people, but whatever the cause of the universe is must be the cause of paperweights and you know flies and, and rocks and stones. It must also be the author or creator of love because it's in the universe. Now, if you say that, well, like bears, uh, they don't really love anything. They just run around making little bears. Uh-huh. Yeah. And if you really want to try to reduce the human being to be like that, so be it. But isn't it almost impossible to reduce yourself to that level of animalia? I mean, we have artifacts in common with bears. We have hair like bears. We have claws like bears. Right. But we do not think like bears. So we shouldn't. Yeah. You remember that animal, how they trained this horse and the horse could do math with his hoof? (laughs) Right. Count to four, horse. Okay. Uh, But the reason it was so amazing... Because it was a horse. Right. If you were to tell me, count to four, Chris, 
You know, it would not be, it wouldn't, no one would be impressed. People would be embarrassed. They'd be like, what's wrong with this guy? You can only count to four. Uh That's because we are so remarkably different from everything else in the creation that we actually present the likeness of God. If you want to know what God is like, better than looking at anything in the universe, look at another person. Now, it's difficult because the person has fallen and has flaws. The person sins. The person is not perfected in love. But they are the greatest exposition of what the creator of the universe is like that we have is other human beings. You said a word earlier that I wanted to jump on, and the word is context. Sure. Can, can, can creation contextualize itself, or does it need something outside of itself to give it context? Well, uh, both of those are true in different ways, I right? think. I think we are all trapped within a context. Uh-huh. There is this great philosophy of France that came forth, especially in the 50s through the 1970s, called existentialism, and it really swept through American society. And uh, what they kind of said is, uh, I have to choose what it is that I am. I don't come into the world anything, I choose what I am. It's still very popular today. That's still very People just don't know exactly where they got it. Uh Because the reason it became so popular is because for a thousand years, people have been saying, you come into the world a specific thing... And then you learn to deal with the consequences of what it is you are. Okay. So like when I was a kid and going through the university, the idea that I choose my being, you know, that existence precedes essence, they would say, uh-huh. was very attractive for about 15 minutes. And then I found out, <laughs> you know, because uh, when I was a kid, you know, I really wanted to play professional baseball. The problem was I was not any good. And uh-huh. then I wanted to play professional basketball, but I was short and I could not jump. And, you know, I was... <laughs> Male, not female. And I was born at a specific time in history. Right. And I had a certain ancestry that is just what I am. So what we really do is we come into the universe and into the world with specific types of proclivities and limitations. And it doesn't matter at all to the universe what we choose to be. There's a kind of a thing that we are. Okay. What we are is a human being created in the image of God. And when we live consistently with that, we tend to live happily and with health and well-being. And the harder that we fight against it, we experience frustration and angst and anguish because we are what we are. Right. And so we're born within a certain context and within a certain universe, and we cannot escape it, no matter how hard we try. But that itself seems to also require a certain cause or a context outside itself. Okay, right. Because the universe itself is not an infinite thing, and the kind of causes that we see here are all caused by a different superior cause. And so whatever the ultimate cause is that caused all these things is that thing that we call God. You can call him not God if you want to, or you can say a lot of things about him, but he has to account not only for the physical properties of the universe, but even the emotional and the spiritual properties of the universe, because we experience them. And so they do indeed exist. And if they exist, and they don't see the kind of things that cause themselves, so are you the skeptic that is looking that to have some questions answered? Once again, if you are Whatever in the Memphis area or willing to, to make it out to the Memphis area for live events or to just contact, so the you can reach the Memphis Apologetics group at www.facebook.com slash Memphis Apologetics. That's www.facebook.com slash Memphis Apologetics. Some past topics wrestled by the group have been UFOs and the Bible. Debating long, they would struggle. 
biblical they're really good at catching traps Eschatology. Remember that guy that, that went out and lived with the bears? Theology. Early church oh, heresies, like, the theology of C.S. Lewis and Tolkien. Of course, those guys are responsible for the line the witch in the wardrobe and some film franchise called Lord of the Rings. At the end of the day, they're bears, right? Well, we have our nature, too. It could start exploring the cosmological argument, and in the next episode, we'll look at how contemporary thought affirms or dismisses the argument. Here's a sneak peek audio clip from part two of the cosmological argument. So whatever we talk about when we talk about whatever the first cause of the universe it is, it being a sufficient cause for the universe itself and everything in it, it also has to be sufficient to explain man. And consciousness, well, you know, and mathematics, uh, the and the eternal, unchangeable things, rules of logic. The only thing that was that created we're all bound to God, right? Was man himself? So right. that's the thing about Everything cosmology. The universe says, exhibits you know, the sun artifacts the he says it's of something other than it's itself. Animals, he says it's not right. just that something had to be powerful enough to create the universe. And make it had to be intelligent or smart else. enough to form the kinds and of things that we see in that. It's all around us. There's Ultimately, most like atheists and agnostics do and great skeptics don't do usually like to see it presented this way. No, they don't. But the space shuttle and the satellites that go around the Earth on a 24-hour basis. All of those of are simply accidents. That's within us. There's a consequence of accidents to that right I mean, relationship with God. I can't build one. To being Just because right. we have cool stuff doesn't mean I know how to do it. Well, human. it's really saying oh, that Amen cell phones and satellites great job in, in, in and pulling uh, this together and, and nuclear energy facilities. All of these are simply effects are of accidental fully. causes yeah. in the void. Well, thank you. Is Appreciate nothing smart it. enough to create great something, talk, anything? Thank you. Thank you, Kirk. In Rogers and Hammerstein's Sound of Music, there's a line in the song, something good that says, nothing comes from nothing, nothing ever could. This is Carl Casperson, hoping you come back for the second discussion and more apologetic content from To God's Greater Glory and take away some tools for reasoning in and out of season for your faith. This has been To God's Greater Glory with Pastor Chris Neiswanger, a ministry of the Memphis Apologetics Group sponsored by Graceview Church in South Haven, Mississippi. You can reach Pastor Chris and Graceview Church at graceviewsouthhaven.com.